some of you think I just make it up, and maybe I do, but I do have a library of commentaries, and this is one of the ones I have for the book of Luke. And it's two volumes by Joe Fitzmaier. And today's gospel passage is the dividing point between the two. This is, people would say, this is really where you divide the gospel of Luke in two. Luke is going to, or Jesus is going to begin his journey to Jerusalem here. And it's going to take him more than ten chapters to get there. And so, it's interesting, Luke makes a big deal about this, but... A lot of scripture scholars don't really agree on why, what what the point is of saying that Jesus took this long and these events happened during this journey. Also, there's the confusing fact that for whole chapters of this journey, it sounds like he's not making any progress on getting to Jerusalem. So what are we to make of this journey? Well, our first reading today is also about beginning a journey as Elijah invites Elisha to be his successor. And the dialogues in the first reading and in the gospel today are really strange. They're, they're very harsh, they're very short. Um, we can imagine that probably Jesus and the people he spoke with actually said more words than the five or six words that are recorded here. And so it's really tempting to fill in the gaps in these conversations to try to backpedal and make them not sound as harsh. So, today, let us try to listen again to these dialogues with new ears. Trying to hear the words of Elijah, Elisha, Jesus, James, John, and three other would-be disciples with clarity. Trying to grasp the deepest meanings of what's been handed on to us through the millennia. So many troubling conversations. Elisha wants to say goodbye to his parents, but it's not clear if Elijah approves of such sentiment. And it's not clear if Elisha actually talks to his parents before he leaves home to become the prophet of the Lord. When Jesus is slighted by the Samaritans, James and John want to destroy the village. Jesus says that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus tells another would-be disciple to let those who are spiritually dead bury those who are physically dead. Jesus seems clearer than Elijah in stating that obligations to family can distract us from discipleship. Yuck. I sure don't like where this is going. I, for one, believe that it is very important to say goodbye to the people we care about when we prepare to begin a new stage of our life journey. Most of us know that we shouldn't wish to call down fire on our enemies, but we'd sure like God to provide a sign to them to prove that we were right and they were wrong. And cultures around the world, including the modern world of psychological research and the ancient world of Second Temple Judaism, both promote the importance of saying goodbye to our deceased loved ones. So what are the scriptures trying to tell us? Well, the main point is clear. We can't consider ourselves to be Christian disciples if we don't make it a top priority to follow Jesus. I'm uncomfortable speaking to the secondary points, such as saying goodbye to one's parents and burying the dead, unless we put it in context with this main point about priorities. Of course, the rhetoric of this passage is designed to make us uncomfortable. So any pat answers that make us feel comfortable are probably getting away from Jesus' and Luke's intentions. 
But would Jesus really force someone to choose between burying their father and following Jesus? I don't think so. And when you think about it, it's not Jesus who forces an either-or decision. It's the nine words of the young man recorded by Luke that frame this as an either-or choice. Lord, let me go first and bury my father. I bet the young man actually said more than these nine words to Jesus. Let's imagine three different expanded scenarios that would flesh out the young man's sense of priorities. I first heard my favorite possible scenario during Paulus James Deluzio's Luke Live mission. What if the young man had said, instead of let me go, he had asked, come with me? That is, Lord, please come with me and let us together bury my father. Somehow, I don't think Jesus would have refused. A second alternative scenario incorporates what we now know about first century Jewish burial practices. Jews buried their dead within hours of death, not days. So can we imagine a second scenario in which the young man says to Jesus, Lord, my father has just died. I must go bury him, but then I will run as fast as I can so that I can catch up and follow you. Again, I'm imagining that Jesus would not reject such a proposal. There's a third scenario that has been imagined by various Christians over the centuries, one that would probably merit a harsher response from Jesus. Lord, my father is frail and will probably die in the next few years. Let me stay with the rest of my family until he dies. Then I will follow you. Now, it's certainly not clear if the man in Luke's account meant something this extreme, or if there were other members of the family who could care for the father. But I can imagine Jesus not approving of a person who claims a choice of either or. Jesus would probably reject the idea that one can either fulfill one's family obligations or be a disciple. Jesus said, and it's referred to in our Galatians reading today, that there are two great commandments, to love God with all our hearts, minds, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. While we should continually devote ourselves to loving God, there are ways to do this while loving others too. Elisha seems to approve of Elisha taking the time to slaughter 12 oxen, make a fire with his plowing equipment, cook the oxen, and feed them to his people. Somebody at dinner last night said that would take several days. While these tasks take time, they become a way for Elisha to strengthen his resolve to follow Elijah, not a way to avoid the task at hand. I think that the failings of these would-be disciples is that they prioritize loving others to the detriment of loving God. It has often been said that the Catholic Church is at its best when it embraces a both-and approach. I will both follow you and bury my father, instead of I will either follow you or bury my father. How often do each of us make unnecessary distinctions between the ordinary tasks of life and the life of discipleship? How often do we claim that we cannot devote time to God because we must devote time to ourselves and others? These claims are nothing new. 
This is a portrait of my role model, Isaac Hecker, founder of the Paulist Fathers, hopefully soon to be a saint. You're all going to pray for him, right? Here's what he wrote, well, what he said in a homily in 1865. You say that you have no time to pray? Have you time to breathe? Prayer is to the life of the soul as breathing is to the life of the body. It is absurd to say you do not have time to pray, as it would be to say that you have no time to breathe. Pray when you rise and dress. Pray when you are on the way to work, or to your place of business, or on your return home, or before you go to bed. Believe me, if you practice to the degree you are able, in a short time, no exercise will be as easy as prayer. You cannot go into solitude as you have a family to see after and a business to attend and other obligations to fulfill. Make a desert where you are. Avoid to the extent you are able unnecessary distractions. It is a great lesson to learn how little of material support is necessary for our physical life. They do not know how much of what they think is necessary is in fact superfluous. Remember what you deprive the body of, you give to the soul. Govern your appetite. Be more temperate in your drinking, less indulgent in your sleeping, and you will learn how much you deemed necessary as not indispensable. You will pray as easily as you breathe. Like Jesus, we are each on a journey to our destiny. Let us never forget that our destiny is eternal life with both God and the saints.